We are in John's Gospel, chapter 10, as we continue our series through the Gospel of John. Uh, We'll be looking at the first uh, half of the chapter, from verse 1 to 21 today. John 10, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon, and it is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Well, let us ask God to bless his word to us as we hear it read and preached. Father, please now help us to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd through these words, to be blessed and fed by them, to be nourished, and to be those who can say we know our Savior. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Most of you know that as we are referred to in the Scripture as sheep, that is, how can we say, um, a a compliment, but also um, maybe not the greatest compliment in certain aspects. Because uh, you will know if you know anything about sheep. Sheep are known for getting lost easily. We all like sheep have gone astray. The language is used from uh, a context where they would know a great deal about sheep. And sheep are actually quite indiscriminate about what they eat and drink. So you can uh, put them in a context where they'll eat bad uh, grass. Uh, drink bad water, They're, they don't discriminate very well. So the good shepherd in Psalm 23 makes me to lie down in green pastures beside still 
waters. Uh, it's also true that they can't really defend themselves that well from predators. And in fact, sheep are sort of like some of you. You lie down for too long, you struggle to get up, and circulation isn't what it is. And so you sometimes have to, if you're a shepherd, pick the sheep up and carry the sheep because the sheep's circulation is such that they can't walk. They just lie there, which again makes them uh, easy prey at times. In New Zealand, I think roughly 40 million sheep might be killed every year. I've been to New Zealand. I have seen the sheep with my own eyes. And there is a Judas sheep that leads some of these sheep to the slaughter. It's a certain type of sheep. Then they follow the sheep and they, like sheep, go to the slaughter because they are sheep. And it's uh, the case that they are easily crushed in their spirits. Some animals are more resilient than other animals, and uh, some really don't feel like they're perturbed by anything, whereas some animals, uh, maybe a dog, uh, this happened to me this week, maybe in preparation for the sermon, goes out and somehow comes in completely muddy all over the floor, and I'm flying around with a rag all over the floor, get this thing out of here, a dog's walking, and I'm like, come on, and then you know, a bit of mayhem ensued, but... Uh, what does the dog do? It goes and hides under the table and won't come out because its master is angry with it. Uh, sheep are easily affected, uh, I am told. And in fact, they will do sometimes really crazy things. So I was doing family worship this week with my kids and thought I would tell them a story about some sheep. And my wife says, oh, you're not going to say this in the sermon, or you've already told that sermon. I says, Barb, listen, there's a lot of new people in the church, and then there's others who forget stuff all the time, and then there's people who don't pay attention, so there's a good chance that 80% of them won't remember the story. So in Turkey, at one time, there was uh, some farmers, and they had sheep, and there was a cliff nearby, and this one sheep decided it was going to go and run and jump off the cliff. This is a true story. And such is family worship these days in the modern age. That as I was telling the story, Josh opens up the laptop, sees the pictures of the sheep that were lying there. 450 sheep had run and followed the sheep off the cliff and plunged most of them to their death. But it is interesting to me that the slower sheep ended up landing upon the quicker sheep and surviving, which Darwin would have... Uh, Bit of a difficult time sorting that one out. <laughs> Survival of the slowest, <laughs> we would call it. Uh, but the point is that this is something that sheep would do. They would jump off a cliff. Other animals would never do that. Here's the point. We are like sheep. There are so many things about us. We wander so easily. We do stupid things. We get our spirits crushed easily. We don't always discriminate what is good to eat and drink in terms of what we take in from this world and truth and all of those things, even false teaching, even not just false teaching, but sort of wishy-washy teaching and so on and so forth. But there is one thing that commends us to the Lord. There is one thing, and it's actually the one thing that matters, is you do know the voice of Christ. And that's all that matters. Because you can say anything else about us, and it would probably be true. 
but we do know the voice of the shepherd. Now, that context is also a context that is richly brought out in the Old Testament in terms of the fact that the shepherd-sheep analogy is not just horizontal. There are lots of shepherds. Abel was a shepherd. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Amos, and you could go on. All of these shepherds. But even God identifies Himself as the shepherd of God's people. And actually, the shepherd is not some sort of weak character who didn't quite make it in the world, and so he goes off to care for the sheep. No, the shepherd is uh, identified in the Old Testament Scriptures in a number of different ways, but very often as a regal-type figure, as a ruler. So the shepherd is a king, and so many people have said that Psalm 23 is really a kingly psalm. Not just the latter Psalms, 95 or 99 or 110 or 2, but actually Psalm 23 is a kingly psalm. And when you look at the way in which Jesus speaks about His second coming in Matthew chapter 25, He says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, before Him will be gathered, what? All of the nations, and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And then right after that, then the king will say. So the idea of separating sheep and goats is done by a kingly figure. Also, as we read in Ezekiel chapter 34, the good shepherd is one who feeds. So in verse 23, and I will set up over them, my people, one shepherd, my servant David, who we understand to be Christ, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. So a prophetic-like figure is going to feed the sheep. But also, as we find out in John 10, not just a king, not just a prophet, but also a priest. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So when Jesus is speaking here in John 10, He's appropriating to Himself a lot of titles just by calling Himself shepherd. He's not just saying, oh, I'm a nice guy and I take care of my sheep. He's saying, I'm a king, I'm a prophet, and I'm a priest. Now, you'll see that He's also contrasting Himself in the opening verses with those false shepherds who climb in a certain way. Now, in the first century, uh, what would basically be the case is there would be a large enclosure that was, uh, had a wall or a fence of some sort, and there would be a, a little door, and a number of families would have sheep. And so it wasn't just one uh, group of sheep from a family in there. There'd be several groups of sheep in this enclosure. And the enclosure would have a door with a watchman, and the watchman would only allow the shepherds whom he knew to be the shepherds of the sheep in there to come in and take the sheep out. So those who wanted to steal sheep wouldn't be able to just walk through the door. They would have to jump over or break in some way to steal the sheep. So when Jesus has finished John chapter 9, speaking to the religious leaders and all of this division, he's contrasting himself with the false leaders of the day. And what's actually remarkable by way of historical example about false shepherds and true shepherds was the story of a man called Alexander Henderson. And uh, he was in the time of the Scottish and English Puritans. And in Scotland, I think in Fife, which is about six miles from St. Andrews. And uh, he was made the pastor of that 
church by the crown, and the crown weren't into the Reformation at that time. So he was appointed by the crown to be the pastor of the church. So uh, Pastor Mark goes away to the Seychelles, says, I'm not coming back. And uh, Trudeau then is the one who says, I will appoint a minister for faith. Now you can imagine how that might go in terms of uh, pastors being appointed to churches without them having any say. And the next minute, uh, Mrs. Someone shows up to be the pastor, uh, which is probably what would happen. Well, what happened in this church, they uh, had experienced the Reformation and the people of the church actually didn't want this guy sent by the crown to be their pastor. So do you know what they did? They bolted up the church and didn't allow him to come and preach. Well, he had to make money, so he had to break into the church to say that he was there to conduct the service with his uh, people who were sent by the crown. So he broke in through a window, went and held the service, but nobody was there because they didn't want this pastor. I better be careful next Sunday when I come back here. <laughs> what are all these boards doing here? And uh, uh, what was interesting, a few years later, there was a preacher by the name of Robert the Bruce, and he was quite a well-known preacher because he was for the Reformation. And Alexander Henderson thought he would go and listen to this preacher uh, near uh, who'd been kicked out of St. Giles in Edinburgh, a very famous church, and he was preaching. And he went to go and listen to him preach. And what's uh, remarkable is he goes to listen to this Reformation preacher preach, and Robert the Bruce opens his text, Verily, verily, I say unto you. It sounds better in the King James in this instance. He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and robber. Can you imagine what that would have been like for Alexander Henderson? I had this little, I had a bit of fun this week on Facebook, this meme, it's from Casablanca. You know, I say, this is how I feel. There's a guy who comes into Rick's cafe and he goes, you despise me, don't you? And Rick says, well, if I gave you any thought, I suppose I would. And I put, this is how I feel when someone says, you were preaching to me, weren't you? Uh, and I thought, well, I, I suppose if I gave you any thought, probably yes. Uh, imagine what it was like for Alexander Henderson, who had broken into a church, not through the door, comes and hears this, and he said it was like swords drawn against his heart, and he ended up being converted and leading the Scottish Reformation. A truly remarkable story. And thankfully, God has brought some false shepherds to the place of being true shepherds. But it's not always easy. One of the great narratives of the Old Testament is the constant battle, even among the people of God, between the false shepherds, the true shepherds. Whether in Ezekiel, whether in Jeremiah, whether in Isaiah, most of the prophets you read about are the exception to the rule of the bad prophets. And Jesus is no different here. Now, remember what I said. If there's one thing that can commend us to Christ, it is not our wisdom. It's not how we always act so perfectly. It's that we know Him. So, the gatekeeper in verse 3 opens to the true shepherd. The sheep hear His voice. And he calls his own sheep and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. And the eastern way of leading is different from the western way, allegedly, of driving the sheep. The 
eastern ways they lead the sheep. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And there are accounts, and you can even, if you are uh, a researcher of some renown, you can go to YouTube and type this in. And you can type in shepherds who call their sheep and the way in which the sheep respond. And it's quite moving to actually see how they will have people who go on these tours and they will give them the, the actual clicking words that are used to try and get the sheep. And everyone will take their turn saying it to the sheep. And the sheep will just keep eating, not even as though anything has happened. And then the shepherd comes and he makes his sound that to my ears, sounds a lot like what others are saying. And all of a sudden, the sheep's heads lift up and they look startled. And all of a sudden, they start coming one by one. They know the voice of the shepherd. And so when you come to John's Gospel, if this is indeed true, that they know the voice of the shepherd, you would expect this to be true of Jesus Christ when He speaks to His sheep. And where do we find that? Well, you can go forward or you can go back. You can go all the way forward to John chapter what? John chapter 20. And Mary sees Jesus, doesn't recognize Him. Thinks He's the gardener. And what does Jesus have to say except her name? Mary. Mary. And then she responds, Rabboni. She knows the voice of the shepherd. You can go back to John chapter 5, verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. You see, John's setting us up for John chapter 10 already in chapter 5. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear that voice will live. So powerful is Christ's voice that you go on after chapter 10 and where do we find one of the greatest examples of the sheep hearing the voice of the Savior and responding? Oh, come on now. I can't do all the work up here. Who is it? Right after chapter 10, you get to chapter 11. Lazarus. He's dead. He stinketh in the uh, way in which George Whitfield preached on the text. There's an odor because he's been in there several days. And what does Jesus say with a loud voice? Lazarus, come out. Poor guy, minding his own business. Dead. And all of a sudden, the voice of the shepherd, and he responds without delay and comes out. The sheep know my voice. Even dead sheep know the voice of the Savior. And He comes out. But then He speaks about how not only do they know Him, but He is the door to salvation that they must only know Him. So in verse 6, they don't understand what He's speaking about because it's a figure of speech. It's a, like a parable of sorts. That's the word that's used. And they don't understand what He's saying to them. So He then clarifies, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So he identifies himself as the shepherd, but he's also the door. There's only one door in which you may go in and bring the sheep out. There is only one way to salvation in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the door. 
So he is the door, and anyone else who has come claiming to be a Messiah in the first century, and there were lots of pretended Messiahs, they are thieves and they are robbers. And there is something that will distinguish Christ as the faithful shepherd as opposed to these faithless shepherds. And what is that? Well, not only is he at the door to salvation, not only does he offer them abundant life in verse 10, but he is the good shepherd, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Now, what is a good shepherd? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says it again in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Now, don't just breeze through this because you're familiar with this passage and think this is normal. This is not normal. Since when do we think that the life of a sheep, actually I shouldn't say that today because you know there are some, but when do we think the life of a sheep is worth more than the life of a human being? It's not how we function. You Go to the grocery store, to the meat section. You get your answer. I'm quite serious. It's animals there, right? Not humans. Human lives are valued with a type of dignity that is different from animal life. Animals have been given to us by God. So, when you see that a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, you're supposed to be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yes, he should look after them and do his best and care for them, but he's not going to die for them. They are sheep after all. And I think we just casually gloss over this. Oh, isn't that nice? Jesus laid down his life. Now, here's my point. You take a shepherd in New Zealand and you take sheep and you say, whose life is worth more? And you would usually go with the shepherd, the human being, made in God's image in a unique way. What is the difference between the shepherd and the sheep? Well, I'm afraid to say the greater distance is actually between Christ the God-man, the eternal God, and us than a shepherd and sheep. And yet that is precisely what he's saying. God Himself in the flesh is going to lay down His life for sheep who wander, who are stupid, who go astray, who by nature wanted nothing to do with this shepherd until he had called them and made him their own. And so a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Calvin said a pastor ought to prefer his flock or even a single sheep to his own life. Now may I be honest with you? That sounds like a job I don't want. Think about that. How many pastors really could stand up here and say they would value the life of one of their own to himself? And say it with any integrity? You can love people a lot, but not be willing to lay down your life for them. I think the only one who can say this with any real degree of integrity actually is the Good Shepherd. We should sacrifice for the sake of the sheep, but the only one who really means this and can say it with a straight face is Christ. That's why He is your shepherd. That's why it's nauseating when you see how some celebrity pastors and people like that and the way in which people will go to church and they fall away and then the people fall away. Why? Because they were following that guy. Christ wasn't their shepherd. They didn't look for His voice. They didn't want to commune with Him. He is the good shepherd. He alone lays down His life for the sheep. 
Hired hands don't do that. They don't care for the sheep. It's like people who, kids, when they don't have to work hard for something, can they take it for granted? You know, I'll never... My dad made me a lot of things, but uh, he made me work for my first mountain bike. Five dollars an hour. That's not a lot of money, by the way. Even back then. <laughs> On a roof. And you know how many nails I had to put in to get that bike? And then I got so fed up because I wanted a rocky mountain. And that was $749 that I went for the cheaper Miata. You ever heard of a Miata anymore? There you go. I got impatient. But I cared for this Miata. (laughs) And I loved it because it was my own and I had purchased it. Jesus cares for His own because He has purchased us with the greatest cost imaginable, His own life. But notice what he says about us. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. What's the essence of Christianity then? The essence of Christianity is that you know Jesus Christ. And it's an analogous relationship between Christ and the Father. So what does that mean? It means that in your relationship with Christ, there are no secrets It means that you can actually be entirely who you are to Christ and know that He loves you as you are. I know us Presbyterians don't like to talk about personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But all true theology is relational theology. It always has been. Adam was a son of God in the garden and he related to Him as a father. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is such that you know Him just as He knows the Father. There are no secrets between you and your Savior. You can go to Him in prayer and you can actually say anything that is on your heart and not have to fear being cast out, of being ridiculed, of anything. Such is the nature of that salvation. And the nature of the hypocrite is that they don't enjoy that. Remember in Matthew 25 when Jesus returns? What does He say to those who aren't His own? Depart from Me what? I never knew you. I know My sheep, but I never knew you. You never spoke to Me as though you were My sheep. You never received from Me as though you knew that I loved you. He says in John chapter 17, verse 3, this is eternal life. What is eternal life? That they know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's knowledge of God, intimate knowledge of God and His Son that is the essence of salvation. But I think it gets even better because in verse 17, we see something very beautiful about the nature of Christ's death. For this reason, the Father loves me. Now think about that. What are the reasons the Father could love the Son? And they are beyond our ability to comprehend. But here we zero in on one particular reason. The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. What do you think was the all-consuming motive for Jesus Christ when He came into this world? It was love for His Father. And so knowing that the reason the Father loved Him 
was that he laid down his life for the sheep. There was nothing in this world, in this universe, that was going to keep Jesus Christ from willingly going to the cross. Jesus went to the cross more willingly than you go to church. More willingly than you go to church. The pathetic, pathetic excuses sometimes people have for going to worship the one who went willingly to Golgotha for you? And you struggle out of bed? Or you struggle to even open His Word? And yet He can say for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross? Joy? Notice what he says. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. He wasn't the unfortunate result of circumstances that went wrong and all of a sudden this helpless victim. No, he is the royal king who goes and lays down his life. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. It was Christ who laid down His life. He was not a victim in the sense that this was something He had no choice to do. No, He had every choice. And His choice was to lay down His life for you and for me. It's like speaking to a veteran in the First World War and there's a story of someone who had lost an arm, I think. And they says, oh, you lost your arm. And he actually responded says, no, I actually gave it for France. And that's the idea. Jesus didn't really lose His life. He gave His life willingly, freely, joyfully so that you might have abundant life. I have come that they may have life. Abundant life. Now, there's a division among the people as we close. And here's the bottom line for every single person here, including myself. If you don't walk out of here with your life changed and wanting to know Christ better and love Christ more and receive more of His love and receive more of His care, of His shepherd-like care, then you fall into another camp. And the camp you fall into isn't an indifferent camp. It's not a polite camp. It's not a Canadian camp. It is a camp whereby you have to have at least the guts to say, if you don't want to say, I love Jesus Christ, at least have the guts to say, He has a demon. He is insane. Why should I listen to Him? See that? They at least had the guts to say it. They were wrong. And if they didn't change, they were wrong on the way to hell. But they at least said, what is the only exception to loving Jesus Christ? That's the problem. Is we think in this world, there's a small group of people who openly hate Jesus Christ. There are those who love Him. And then there's those who just want to mind their own business and get on with life. That is not the case when you're confronted with one who says, I lay down my life for multitudes of sheep, that they may have eternal, resurrection, abundant life, and that there is no other life that you can possibly have unless it's through my sacrificial death. If you don't believe that, then you have to think He's insane. 
But the eyes of faith take away the insanity of it all and it becomes the most beautiful thing in the world to know that your shepherd gave up his life for you and loves you with a name that he is able to say before his father at this moment your exact name before the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the glory of the Gospel. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for Your Word. and We thank You for the Good Shepherd. When there would be multitudes of false shepherds that could snatch us so easily, we have been put in the hand of the Good Shepherd and kept and preserved Thy love, which is the highest thing that we can be preserved by. So please enable us to know our shepherd, for he knows us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.